Good morning. Our scripture today comes from Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Heavenly Father, God, we are grateful for this day and the time you have given us to spend in worship and, Lord, singing and in your word. God, I pray as we encounter you in your word this morning that we would be forever changed by that encounter. And Lord, as I have prayed often before, Lord, what we do not know, would you teach us? What we do not have, would you give us? And what we are not, would you make us for your glory through the power of your Holy Spirit in the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. The word abandon, the definition of the word abandon, uh, often as we use it, means to cease to support or to give up completely. But as a noun, it means, to, it means a complete lack of Restraint, like to act with abandon. This word can be used to describe the act of giving up everything to achieve a goal. Now, there's a Celtic myth about the ancient kingdom of Ulster. In the ancient kingdom of Ulster, uh, the, uh, the, the heir uh, of the throne died and there was no one uh, to take the throne. They weren't sure. And usually that means war, uh, but they found a different solution. They, they decided that they would have a feat of strength or athleticism uh, to determine who should be the next king of Ulster. And so they determined, of all things, let's have a boat race. So this boat race that they uh, designed was such that everyone who desired to be king was to get into a boat, and they went out to a certain distance from the shoreline. <clears throat> and from the shoreline, as they were there, somehow they signaled them, and they were to race as quickly as they could back to shore. And whoever got to the shore first was the king. And they literally said, whosoever's hand touches the shoreline first, that person is our king. So, of course, everyone who desired to be king, they got in their boats and they went out to a certain distance and they all lined up and they signaled them and they began to race toward the shoreline. And as they're racing toward the shoreline, there was one man in particular who was struggling to keep up. He, he was doing, I mean, he was kind of holding his own, but he, he was struggling to keep up with the rest of them. Maybe he was not as strong or as athletically inclined or whatever it might be, but he was just not doing well in the race. And while he was somewhat close, he recognized pretty quickly he was probably not going to win. Now all these other uh, people, all these other men who were trying to be king, they, they had strength, they had ability, maybe they had better boats, whatever it is. They had a lot of things going for them. And this man, he didn't have any of those things, and so he was not keeping up. 
But he desired to be king so desperately that legend has that when he realized they had gotten to a point where there was absolutely no way he was going to reach the shoreline first, he drew his sword and he cut off his left hand. And then he picked up his left hand and he threw it as hard as he could and it landed on the shoreline. And because of the way the rules were written, he became the king of Ulster. And that's why the, king, the ancient kingdom of Ulster, their flag is actually a flag with a white hand on it. That's the, that's the legend that comes from it. Now, whether that's true or not, maybe parts of it are, I don't know. It doesn't really matter. The story proves something. While all those other people had uh, maybe better boats, maybe better strength, maybe better uh, abilities, none of them wanted to be king as badly as that man. To the point that he acted with complete and total abandon. It shows us what it looks like to live in such a way as to have a complete lack of restraint and to do anything that is needed to be done in order to accomplish your goal. And that's what this man did. Now, following God's call can mean many different things. It can have different aspects to it. However... It never means doing it halfway. Following Jesus may mean certain things for individuals, but it never means halfway. We are called to follow Jesus with everything we have. But many of us, we live our lives in such a way as we let other things get in the way or hinder our following of Jesus, our complete pursuit of Him. Now maybe... It's a habit. Maybe it's entertainment. Maybe it's simply money or that you have become lazy in your walk with the Lord. Whatever it might be, your walk with the Lord and my walk with the Lord is not simply to be just another aspect of our lives. Jesus is not intended to be just another part of what we do. He's not intended to be one of many things that run our lives. He is not one good thing among others. He is the one and only. There is, two, there is none higher, there is none greater, and there is none more worthy. And because of this, following Jesus means a life of abandon. Following Jesus means a life of of abandon. Now, before we jump into these few verses that you heard Brother Barry uh, read just a moment ago, uh, I want to give us a little bit of background on what's going on. I, I think it helps us understand what's happening in these few verses. And all the way back in chapter 9 uh, of Luke, Luke chapter 9, verses 22 and 23 and even 24, is a little passage that many of you may be familiar with. Uh, but Jesus, in, in Luke 9, 22, he begins to tell his disciples. He says, look, I'm going to go and I'm going to be handed over to evil men and I'm going to be crucified and buried and, and rise again. He tells them about his crucifixion. Then in verse, or chapter 9, verse 23, he tells his disciples something that you will probably may be familiar with. Jesus tells his disciples, and if any of you wants to follow me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. And then he says in verse 24, if anyone wants to keep their life, they will lose it. But anyone who is willing to lose their life for my sake will find it. Right? So Jesus 
is describing to his disciples what it means, what it looks like to follow Christ. Then, in verse, uh, in the, later on, eight, eight days later, according to the text, in verses 28 through 36, we get another story maybe you're familiar with. Jesus is going away, he's separating himself to pray and to spend time with the Lord. And as he does so uh, with the Father, and as he does so, he does as he often does. He, he takes the twelve, but then within that, he takes Peter, James, and John just a little bit further in. And then as Peter, James, and John are there, and they're, they're doing things, they look up, and all of a sudden, Jesus essentially peels back his humanity for a moment, and they get to see him in all of his resplendent divine glory. And when they look up, the scripture says, as they're doing this, they look and they realize he's standing there, and he is carrying on a conversation with Moses and Elijah, who are also standing in front of them. We refer to this instance as the Mount of Transfiguration. So this happens, and they see Jesus in all of his divine, sovereign personhood. Then he has another encounter. And when he encounters, when he has this encounter, it tells us something very specific about his disciples and about who he is. There's a little, there's a boy, a young man at least, but his father brings him to Jesus. And he says, look, he's, he's demon possessed. He's throwing himself in the fire. He's doing all these things. And then he says something funny. He, he looks at Jesus and he says, well, I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't do anything to fix it. But can you? And so, of course, Jesus casts out the demon and it's miraculous and everyone sees it. But then Luke gives us a note. Luke says, quote, all were astonished at the majesty of God. So now, not only has Jesus told his disciples what it means to follow him, but then he has shown them who they are following. Namely, the divine son of God and the one who has power over the spiritual world. And then, he has several encounters with his disciples, basically from 944 through 956. And all of those encounters show us one simple truth. Jesus tells his disciples what it means to follow him. Then he shows his disciples who they are following. And then the last section shows us that his disciples don't get it at all. That's that's what it's showing. right? So we've got this picture of what it means to follow Jesus and the fact that his disciples don't get it. Now after all of these occurrences, the passage we're going to look at this morning is where we end up. And these, these encounters that Jesus has are with three different men. And these different encounters, uh, it is possible that it's possible that maybe you say, you know, I'm, I'm doing pretty well right now and, and none of them apply to me. That's fine, but they probably do. It could be that one of them applies or two of them apply or heaven forbid all three of them apply. But it could be that case. But what, it ends, up, what ends up happening is now Jesus has told his disciples what it means to follow him. He has shown them who they are to follow. They have shown that they have no idea what he's talking about. And now Jesus is about to give an illustration of what it means to follow him. He's about to explain that through these three occurrences this morning. And when we see this, what we need to do is hear the call. First, to abandon your tendency toward comfort. Abandon your tendency toward comfort. Look at verse 57. It says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, it seems really interesting. They're, they're going along, they're, they're walking along and doing this, uh, doing this ministry and everything else. And it says, as they're going along, this man blurts out, 
I will follow you wherever you go. So how do you know it's a man? Well, Matthew, Mark, and Luke and John are the Gospels. And, and you probably know this, but, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke are also referred to as the Synoptic Gospels, which is just a fancy word for same Okay, and that's because Matthew, Mark, and Luke many times share the same stories. And they maybe add some details that John or Luke saw that Mark didn't or whatever they, they, that they know. So they're, they're adding those in. Well, because of that, what that means is when we're in the book of Luke, there are times where we can get more details from Matthew that, that maybe Luke doesn't mention. And in this particular instance, we do. Um, in this passage, it says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him. But in, Ma- in Matthew chapter 8, verse 19, it says, and as they were going along, a scribe spoke to him. So we know who this man is. This man is a religious leader. He is, a, a, he is a, um, an expert in the Old Testament law to the point that sometimes your translation won't use the word scribe. It'll actually say lawyer because they were considered experts in the law. So this man knows the law. He knows the word of God. He, he knows what we would consider the Old Testament. He, he knows those things. And so this man, as we're walking along, he yells out. He says, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, what I want us to do is I want you to get a little picture in your mind. We're going to say that we're in a classroom with Jesus. And Jesus is the teacher. Okay? So, so that's what we're doing. These three men are in a classroom with Jesus. And these three are the teacher. The first guy that we encounter here is what we'll call the goody-goody in class. We have plenty of teachers uh, in, in school, uh, administrative or personnel or whatever else, or you just went to school at some point in your life. Um, and so you know what this is like. The first one's the goody-goody, okay? The first one is the person who knows what the assignment is before they come to class. And so by week two, they have all of the chapters read. They've already done all of the extra credit. Um, and then uh, they, they're the one that constantly raises their hand in the middle of the discussion and says, I, I have a question. Yes. Is this going to be on the test? Right? That's this person. Right? Because they're just walking along. And this man blurts out, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. That's interesting because he says, I will follow you. It means I'll follow you where, whatever the situation, it doesn't matter what it is. I will follow you. Now, again, at first blush, that sounds like a pretty amazing statement. He's telling Jesus, look, I'm going to follow you. I'll do this. I will follow you, Lord. But what happens is we learn the heart of this man, not through what he says, but through how Jesus responds to him. Um, Because we can't see into the hearts and minds of other human beings, but Jesus can. John chapter 2 tells us that. In John chapter 2, right before Jesus has an encounter with Nicodemus, it says that he was in this area and he was teaching, but he did not give himself to them because he knew what was in their hearts. And he knew that it wasn't genuine. So when this man says, Jesus, I will follow you anywhere, Jesus responds with, foxes have holes, And birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. His response to this man is in in response to this man's haste. He just blurts out, I'll follow you wherever you want to go. And Jesus essentially says, hold up a minute. Think about what you're saying. Think about what you're saying. He says, look, it's really poignant when he says this. What is this man according to Matthew? He's a scribe. Jesus says, Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man. This scribe instantly knows what Jesus just said. Some of us here would go, well, I mean, yeah, he's the Son of Man. Well, actually, he, he is 
The son of man is an Old Testament phrase to refer to the anointed eternal king set aside by the father to redeem his people and is the eternal king who will sit on a throne forever and ever. Amen. That's who he is. So when he says foxes, those little bitty animals, they have holes. And birds, they have a place to nest. But me, the divine son of God, the anointed one from eternity past... I don't even have a place to lay my head down. What is he telling this guy? He says, before you blurt out that you're just willing to follow me whenever and however, you need to count the cost. Because this life is not a life of comfort. That's what he tells us. This life's not a life of comfort. He doesn't say, hey, you know, I want you to understand that it could be possible that things might not go great. He actually says, no, I want you to understand It will be uncomfortable if you follow me. You need to count the cost. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. When we're not willing to abandon our tendency for comfort... For some, these are those, it looks like, uh, where when things are going well in life, they follow the Lord. But the moment things get difficult, they flee. To put it another way, they're the kind who say, when things are good, Jesus is God. And when things are bad, I'm gone. That's what this looks like. And, and, and so Jesus says, you need to count the cost before you just jump in and say you're willing to do it. What does it look like in the church? What does it look like in the church when, when church people are unwilling to give up our tendency toward comfort? Well, it looks like a group of people who are less concerned with the lost, less concerned with spreading the gospel, less concerned with God-honoring worship than they are about making sure no one sits in their spot on Sunday morning, about making sure that Everything stays the same because, quote, we have never done it that way before, end quote. Or never stepping out in faith to advance the kingdom of God through the ministry of the church. It's what it looks like when the people of God are unwilling to abandon their tendency toward comfort. The goal of following Jesus, hear me, the goal of following Jesus is not a happy life. Let that settle in for a second. You can have a happy life, but that's not the goal of following Jesus. The goal of following Jesus is not a comfortable life. The goal of following Jesus is not an easy life. The end prize of following Jesus is not happiness, it's not comfort, and it's not ease. Hear this one. The end goal of following Jesus isn't even heaven. That's an end product, but that's not the end goal. The end goal of following Jesus isn't even heaven. You know why? The only reason that heaven is heaven is because when you get there, Jesus is there. So the only goal in life is not that you get heaven or you get happiness or you get ease or you get comfort. The goal in life is that you get Jesus. And if you have Jesus, you have everything. And when we're faced with this desire, individually or 
as a church, when we're faced with the tendency to, to, to lean toward comfort and not toward fulfilling God's call for our life, and to play it safe and, and to keep things comfortable and the way that they've always been, may we declare individually and as a church, may it always be our declaration that at Eastwood Baptist Church, we will always be driven by his kingdom over our own comfort. So not only can our desire for comfort hinder our complete following of Jesus, but it can be so easy to allow things in life, even good things, to get in the way and take first place in our hearts. Because of this, we need to abandon your temptation to put anything above Jesus. So, remember, we're in this classroom, right? Um, and and if, if you're a student or you've been a student, especially if you're a teacher, you know how this goes. Okay, so the first person is the goody-goody, right? Is this going to be on the test? Uh, I know it's the second week, but I already did all of my extra credit. That kind of thing. So you got that kid. The second one is the one sitting in the back of the classroom trying to act like they're taking notes, but in reality they're folding one of those paper footballs and getting ready to flick it across the room. Right? Yeah, a few of you raised your hand like that. That was me. Okay, so here's the way this works. The teacher's up there lecturing. This person's just sitting there. And then all of a sudden the teacher says, so on page 127 when it says this, What does that mean? And you can feel it in the room. All of a sudden, everyone is taking notes or they're looking out the window or something. Someone said something to them or or they're they're looking in their book. They're doing anything and everything they can to not make eye contact with the teacher because if you make eye contact with the teacher, she's calling you out. Don't look, don't look. What happens? That's not true. You don't have to make eye contact with her. In fact, the one trying the hardest to not make eye contact is the one she's calling on. That's the one that's getting called on, right? And this is what's happening here. So the first one is the one sitting on the front row with their hand up saying, ooh, 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 is this going to be on the test? The second one is the one in the back trying not to make eye contact. Not going to look, not going to look. Why? Because in this instance, if you look at the story, the first one, it says that as they were walking, a man said, Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere you go. Look at the next one. Verse 59, to another he said, Jesus, to another he said, follow me. I didn't say anything. There, you can you almost imagine how it went here, okay? Because when Jesus says, follow me, this isn't a present imperative. What it means is, continually follow me for the rest of your life. This is a big statement. But you can imagine it, right? You got the one guy that's like, I'll follow you, Lord. And he didn't say, he, Jesus didn't even ask. This one, this guy's just walking along like, like this, like trying to act like he's talking to this guy over here, even though this guy has no idea who he is. He's just trying to talk because he doesn't want to make eye contact with Jesus. And Jesus essentially goes, you, you, follow me forever. <laughs> wow. It just, it just pulls him right out of the, uh, out of the clear blue. It, it just comes out of the clear blue. He doesn't expect it at all. And yet, he has the perfect excuse. The perfect excuse. I mean, it, it makes total sense. Jesus says, follow me. And he said in verse 59, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now, here's the thing. You hear that, you think, well, of course. I mean, Jesus is caring, right? He's going to tell this guy, oh, you're, like Jesus doesn't know. But we'll just, uh, you just go with divine imagination or uh, uh, supernatural imagination here for a second. He says, oh, your dad died. Oh, you know, go take care of that real quick. I, I, you know, I'm sorry. Except Jesus knows what's going on with this man too, right? He knows before he even said, follow me. So he says, follow me. And this guy says, well, um, let me first go 
and bury my father. Now, here's the interesting thing. Three things, actually. One, in this day and age, because of the fact that the preservation aspects of, of someone dying weren't where they are even today, uh, the truth is, is that they were quick to get someone into the tomb or into the ground as quickly as possible because it would start to, to, to rot. So, so they, they needed to do that quickly. So the truth is, is if, that man, if this man's father died, then he died either the, the, the day before or that morning. So the first question is, what on earth is he doing walking around the countryside following a rabbi when his, his dad's dead? The second one is this. He obviously is the, either the eldest or the only son in the family because he feels this is his cultural obligation. It's his job to take care of it. Let me go. It's, it's the emphasis. Let me go and bury my father. It's his job. But the third one's maybe the more poignant one that lets us know what's going on here. Um, if, if this man's father had died, even in the last few days, according to Jewish law, he is ceremonially unclean. He can't be around. Well, we already know. Who else is in this crowd? It's a scribe. So there's no way a Pharisee or a scribe or a Sadducee, um, even, even rabbis in that day, they knew you're not supposed to be around people like that when you're ceremonial, ceremonially unclean. So he had a certain number of days after the funeral where he was unclean. And during the times, he's unclean. So what does all this tell us about this man? Simple. His dad's not dead yet. His dad's not dead. So this man says, Jesus says, you follow me continually. And his response is, well, Lord, at some point in the near future, maybe not in the near future, but at least in a few years, my father's probably going to, uh, to keel over. And at that point, I need to take care of his funeral and all of those other things. And then I'll come follow you. It's not, my dad died this morning, let me go bury him. It's, my dad's going to die at some point, and that's more important. That's why it's not callous the way that Jesus responds. He says in verse 60, and Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. What he's saying is, if you're following me, and if you're in Christ, you are spiritually alive. You have a purpose, you have a goal, you have a mission that you have been given. He's saying, you can let all those other people that aren't willing to follow me, you can let them stay back and take care of them when they die. Let the dead bury the dead. You leave them alone. But when does he tell him? He doesn't say, and then just come follow me. He actually says, but as for you, you go and you proclaim the kingdom of God. So what Jesus is telling him is that there is something that in, in the calling of Christ, to follow Christ, it, it, there is something in that call that is more important than any cultural obligation you may have. Amen. He is saying, you need to be willing to lay aside your idols. Martin Luther said, the thing that occupies your mind the most, that is your God. Jesus is saying, look, he's not saying don't care about your family, but he is saying this, your calling to me is first. Your calling to honor me and to live for me is first above everything else. And if you ever place anything above that, you are an idolater. And he tells this man, you let the dead bury their own dead. You, you come, you preach the, the gospel of the kingdom. That's your job. Is there something or someone that is taking first place 
in your heart or in your life today over Jesus? Do you have idols? Do you have things that you have set up above him in your life? See, in the church, what this looks like, when a a church is not willing to abandon their temptation to put things before Jesus, it looks like people who are more concerned with tradition, trivia, and trifles than the advance of the kingdom of Christ. The world and all your cultural expectations will pass away. Everything that you hold dear, everything that you try to put above Jesus, all of it will pass away. But the kingdom of God is eternal. And because of that, Jesus says, you need to be willing to abandon all of those things to follow me. So it could be that you need to abandon your temptation to put anything above Jesus. Or finally, you need to abandon your temporal desires and pursue the eternal. Abandon your temporal desires and pursue the eternal. So we've got these three guys, right? We're in the classroom together. So you got the first one up in the front, goody two-shoes. Ooh, 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 is this going to be on the test? All of that stuff, right? Turning in the extra credit at the beginning of the semester instead of five minutes before the semester's over. That person. Then you got the person in the back who's sitting back there. He's like, I don't, I'm not making eye contact. I'm, I'm, I'm whatever. And they get called on anyway. You got that person in the back. And then you have the third person. And maybe you've experienced this person. If you're a teacher, you probably have. If you're a student, there may be someone in your class that's this way. The third person is kind of similar to the first one, except a little bit different. See, this person believes no matter what's happened before, no matter what's been said, they know more than every person in that room, including the teacher. In college, it's the person that you want to look at and go, I didn't pay $1,200 to hear you lecture. I'm supposed to hear them lecture. Right? That, that's that person. Why do I say that? Well, because the first person blurts it out. He gets rebuked by Jesus. The second person, he doesn't blurt anything out. He just gets called out by Jesus. But then look at the third guy. The third one thinks he's got it nailed. Thinks he understands everything about what's going on. So he says, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. Wow. Okay, so this guy just puts himself out there. He puts himself, even though he heard the first guy get rebuked, he heard the second guy, even though he didn't put himself out there, he heard the second guy get body slammed by Jesus. And then he thinks, they they don't get it. I've got this. I'll follow you, Lord. You notice that? Luke throws that in there. I'll follow you, comma, Lord. Like as in Jesus, in this instance, he's got it nailed because he understands Jesus is Lord. His master, his, his ruler. So he says, I'll follow you, Lord. Here's the problem. It's the next word or, or the next phrase that's the problem in all of these. I'll follow you, Lord, but let me first. No. But let him first. That's the point. Not let me first, let him first. So he says what? He said, I'll follow you, Lord. He's the one that throws himself. I got this. I understand what Jesus means by following him. I'll follow you, Lord. But first, um, let me first say farewell to those at my home. Now, it's important again because that sounds okay. 
on the surface. But the way Jesus responds to him lets us know it's not okay about what he's saying. He says, but, but first, let, let me say farewell to those at my home. Verse 62, but Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back. So what is this guy saying? He's not saying, Lord, let me go home and pack a bag real quick and kiss someone on the cheek and say, see you later. I'll be back in just a few minutes. What he's saying is, let me go back to my house and put everything in order and make sure everything's good because I have responsibilities. I have obligations. I have things I need to take care of and then I will come and follow you. That's why, but let me first go. Let me go do this first because I've got obligations and I can't just abandon those things. He even calls Jesus Lord, Master, Ruler. Jesus says... No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back. Now, their day and age, obviously, they understand it. Here, we understand it decently well as, as well. This is an agrarian illustration. Jesus is talking about plowing a field. Of course, in their day and age, they didn't have GPS on their tractors or anything like that uh, to keep them straight, even in the dark. They didn't have headlights. All they had was a field, um, an oxen or a mule or something like that, and a plow in the dirt. And in order to keep their rows straight, they would set rocks or something like that on the other end of the pasture in a certain increment. And then what the, the plowman was to do is when he got set and he was ready to plow that row, he would fix his eyes on whatever was at the end of the row and he would just walk walk and never take his eyes over what he's looking why well because you only have a certain amount of land you need to be good with the land you have also i know very little about farming but it, i know this that certain things you can't grow them too close together and certain things you can't grow too far apart so you got to get your, your 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 settings correct okay but what happens when a when a plowman is plowing this row but he keeps looking back at the house right he keeps looking behind him what is this row? Now it's not a row. It's a snake all the way through the, the deal. Well, then what do you do? Well, now the next one's going to be off. And so on and so on and so on. Why? Because you have to keep your eyes fixed afront on what you are following. You can't keep looking back. What Jesus is describing is, is, and what this man's issue is, is this man is double-minded. He, he has two minds about him. He's, he wants, he, he's saying, I want to follow Jesus. He's my Lord. But at the same time, he is bound to something behind him that he keeps looking back to. And Jesus says, you do that, you can't plow your rows. You can't plow your rows straight. And that's an issue. And Paul experienced this issue with the man in the New Testament. In the New Testament, this man was with him. He, he followed Paul. He, he taught with Paul. He did all of those things. But then he said, I had to leave him. I had to basically cast him off. You know why he said? He said, I had to cast him off and leave him aside because he was too in love with this world. He, we got a mission. Paul says, I got a mission. But this man, he, he keeps looking back at the things of the world. He keeps being drawn off course because of the things around him. Jesus is saying, this man has a, a double mind. Because when you look back at the world, you're going to have trouble following the king. You're going to have trouble following in his footsteps. Is there something dividing your focus away from God today? Is there something drawing your eye away from following Jesus? Jesus says you need to be willing to abandon your temporal desires and seek eternal things. Now, I actually left a phrase off at the end. I always know. I do that on purpose. I always know because some of you, you instantly are like, 
He left that off. Is he going to say that? The reason I left it off is because it may be the scariest phrase or one of the scariest phrases in all of Scripture. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Do you notice he does not say, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God? That would be bad enough. He says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now remember, he is saying this directly to a man who just said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go do this. He says, hey, you're going to put your hand to the plow and keep looking back? You're not fit to be in my kingdom. Not you're not fit to serve. You're not fit to be in my kingdom. What is Jesus saying? Now, let me throw this out there before I... Faithful followers of Christ can falter and fail and fall, okay? But you get back up, dust off your your knees, repent, and keep going straight. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. This man is making a proclamation, but his heart's not in it. What Jesus is saying is, the thing is, you think you're following me? You're already not following me because you have two minds. You're already not following me. What is he saying? You think you can run home and do all that and then come do this? You're not fo- you say you're following me, but you're already lost. Now, you say, well, man, that's, that's pretty hard. You do realize that it's possible that someone in this room right now could be following Jesus physically like this man was, but not following him spiritually? You're following him physically because you're here. But are you drawn back to the things of the world constantly? Are you drawn back? Is your mind drawn back to devotion to the things of the world? Old habits, old, different things. You're drawn back constantly. It's a warning. Hey, that kind of person is double-minded. James says that a double-minded person is unstable in all their ways. When you follow Jesus, it's about a life of abandonment. Abandoning comfort, abandoning the temptation to put anything above Jesus, abandoning the temporal desires that you may have to pursue the eternal. Because in following Jesus, you get Jesus. And what you gain far outweighs anything you will ever give up. Jesus is better than anything you will abandon. Jesus is better than any comfort this world can offer. Jesus is better than anything or person this life may hold. Jesus is better than any temporary thing this world prizes. So, well, what about Jesus is better? But maybe that Jesus is better. Well, what, but I'm, Jesus is better. So, well, but my spouse, love your spouse, but Jesus is better, in case you didn't know. You want to know if Jesus is better than your spouse? Ask Luann. That was a joke. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than anything you could pursue. Even good things. If you put good things in front of God in your life, they are now idols. And Jesus is better than anything. And you could give it up because what you gain far outweighs anything you'll ever give up. Jesus is better. And as we prepare, we're in 2022, but as we prepare for this year and are at the beginning of this year and all that God has for Eastwood Baptist Church, 
As we prepare to hear the vision I believe the Lord has for us, the vision I believe the Lord's kind of already begun to lay on my heart for, for what Eastwood Baptist Church is going to be, not this year, but for the next decade or two. I could tell you this, it's exciting, it's overwhelming, it brings me to tears, but it won't happen unless God's people are willing to abandon our comfort, our tendency to put other things above Jesus, and our tendency to, uh, to pursue temporal things instead of eternal things. We have got to get to the place where we make ourselves ready. We need to fill this altar, crying out to God and saying, God, I have a tendency to put things in front of you. You know that, Lord. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Lord, I need, I need your grace to fix my eyes on you. Pull those things. Lord, you know me. I, I tend to lean into the comfortable. God, pull me out of the comfortable. Let me put your kingdom above my own comfort. God, you know me. Lord, I have a tendency to wander into temporal things. God, draw my mind and my heart up to eternal things. We need to fill this altar with the cry from the old song, Lord, I am prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. So God, take my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. God, that's what I need this morning. That's what Eastwood Baptist Church needs. If we're going to reach the community and reach the world for Christ, then this church needs to be filled with people who say, Lord, I don't even know what you're asking me for yet, but my answer is yes, and I'll wait to hear the question. As a church, when you are tempted to slide into comfort, abandon your comfort and follow Jesus. As a church, when you are tempted to fall into putting something above him. Abandon your idols and follow Jesus. As a church, when you're tempted to seek temporary things, abandon them and seek the eternal and follow Jesus. That's the call this morning. Because what did he tell his disciples? If you want to follow me, you're going to take up your cross daily die to yourself and follow me because anyone who wants to save their life will lose it but anyone who's willing to give up their life and their comfort and their temporary things anyone who's willing to give up those things for my sake will find it and maybe you're here this morning and you're holding on to something something's keeping you from coming to christ something is it's, you're being drawn to this idol or drawn to these things. All of those things will fade away. All of those things will fail you. None of them will ever measure up. But Jesus is forever and Jesus never fails. Turn to him. Run to him. Abandon all. Abandon all of these things. Because following Jesus means living a life of complete abandonment.